Hi everyone, welcome to the Life Around the Table podcast. Here you can expect to find teachings, interviews, devotions, and other discussions about faith, life, culture, and the church. If there is any way we can serve you or answer any questions that you might have about our church, feel free to reach out at hello at thetablechurch.us. Okay, let's go ahead and jump into this episode. Okay, well, welcome to the Life Around the Table podcast. My name is Cody. I'm the pastor of teaching and discipleship for the Table Community Church here in the Gallatin Valley, and just thankful you are tuning in with us as we are still continuing to navigate COVID-19 and everything else that's going on. Um, But I am thankful for the outdoor gatherings that we have been having and are continuing to have out at the Skinner's property. And so if that's something that interests you and you would like to join us or check us out, um, just send us an email at hello at thetablechurch.us. Again, that's hello at thetablechurch.us, and we'll get you all of the information you need. Um, It's been good to see some new faces and just see everyone else over the last couple of weeks, so grateful we're still able to do that and looking forward to continuing to do that. And so the podcast you are listening to now is from last Sunday's teaching, and so forgive me, I just fell a little bit behind this week on getting these things recorded. I'm going to try and start recording the podcast prior to Sunday rather than after Sunday. So we'll see how that goes. But anyways, just glad you are here. If you are someone who likes to follow along in your Bible, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 through 33. Yes, we are only covering two verses, but I think you'll find there's quite a lot to those verses. Uh, We are beginning sort of a month-long series just looking at some of the kingdom parables that are found in Matthew's gospel and elsewhere. And so What we're looking at doing is just exploring some of the ways in which Christians are called to live here and now. And this is going to spill over into our series in Thessalonians, which is a very important book for our time today. And so just to prepare us for some of the things we'll talk about, I think Jesus' words in the parables provide a great setup. And so we're going to be looking at the parables for the next couple of weeks. And so again, if you want to follow along, Matthew 13, 31 through 33, Uh, This is going to be packed, I think, with significance. And so uh, let's go ahead and read it. We'll pray and we'll dive right in. Matthew 13, 31 through 33 says, He, being Jesus, told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field, though it is the smallest of all the seeds. Yet when it grows, it is the largest of the garden plants and becomes like a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. And the next parable is found in verse 33, and it says, He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked through all the dough. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We ask that as we navigate these parables that you enlighten our minds and our hearts and awaken our souls to your presence in our life. And God, we ask that you would help us live faithfully in the kingdom of God here and now. Make us more like Jesus by the power of your spirit. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So yeah, again, just a few verses, but quite significant. And one of the things you'll find about these parables is on the surface they seem simple, but as you probe a little bit deeper, they are quite profound. You know, it made me think about how seemingly small and insignificant moments in life can actually be quite life-altering when those small moments take root in our lives. You know, Christy and I, we had just celebrated our our 10-year anniversary back in May, and as I thought about how it all started, I was blown away again about that truth that seemingly small and insignificant moments can actually be the beginning of something life-altering and big for us in life. 
you know, Christy and I, we both lived in East Texas in these small towns that were separated by about 20 miles, and we, we had never met. And the town she lived in was a little bit bigger than the town I lived in, and it had the better restaurants. And so on nights where nothing was really going on in the town where I lived, my friends and I would always go over to Christy's area, which was called Lindale, um, and we'd either eat at this place called Chili's or this Tex-Mex place called Posados. And, you know, it was one night I was meeting with this guy about potentially buying his coffee shop at Chili's. And everyone at the table knows I've got this serious passion, probably unhealthy passion for coffee. And uh, I was, I was, so I was, and this goes way back. And so I was meeting with this guy about his coffee shop. And we were sitting at this Chili's. It was a Monday night. And then I see this redhead waitress drift across the restaurant. And I remember thinking just how cute she was and i was with a friend who was with me in, a, in on this meeting who tried to get me to talk to her but i didn't and and so i kind of let that slide and and moved on a little bit and the next night though another group of my friends invited me out to dinner and so we went to chili's like we normally would uh, interestingly christy wasn't supposed to be working that night but she did anyways and I, I saw her again and my waiter who was a friend from high school again small towns um this waiter introduced us now, over the next several minutes of me fumbling over my words, I finally asked for her number awkwardly, and then she cautiously said yes, and she had never given it out before. And so um, I guess there are some rules when you get a phone number that you're not supposed to call within, like, I don't know, two or three days or whatever that old rule is. But um, I thought I got a sympathy number from Christy, so I called it or I texted it immediately just to make sure it was the right number. And so – and she she said, yeah, this is, this is me. And so um, – we went out for Chinese in a movie a couple of days later, and the rest was history. Uh, you know, so simply just walking into a restaurant changed our lives. Her deciding to stay at work that day, and then she wasn't supposed to work, a seemingly small thing ended up changing everything. And I think that's kind of what we're looking at when we see this parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the yeast or leaven, as some translations have it. You know, when we arrive at these parables and many others, we find that the truth buried deep within the stories is that the seemingly small and insignificant and weak things are actually the most profound and powerful to bring change into our lives and into the world around us. And you see, parables, they are allegories that illustrate what life ought to look like when we follow Jesus. It's all about life in his kingdom here and now as we wait for the time to come. And for many people, when we think about the kingdom of God, it's, it's frustrating because we, we, we have all these questions about why things are the way they are if Jesus is king. And we'll get into that here in a second. So, uh, but from the outset, it's important to get a grip on the nature and the importance of this idea of kingdom if we are to truly understand the parables. When we talk about the kingdom, we are talking about that space in life where we are fully surrendered to God and his will. It is anywhere where people are surrendering themselves to King Jesus. It's allowing Jesus to rule and reign in our lives, and his rule directs us towards a life of goodness, even in a world of chaos. In fact, when we live in and out of the kingdom, people ought to see a different way to life than what they're used to seeing in this world, and, and they ought to, quite honestly, be curious to see what that's all about. And so the kingdom is a central component to the gospel, but it's often widely neglected in American Christianity. I think, just think about it. When, when is the last time you heard the gospel presented, or maybe you even presented the gospel? Was the concept or the word kingdom mentioned at all? Now, likely not. Well, likely not. That's, this is not something we have really developed 
in American Christianity, and, and it's to a fault because this is an important point about what it means to follow Jesus is to have his rule and reign in our lives on a daily basis as we walk with him because Jesus is king. That we, we talk about Jesus Christ. That word Christ means anointed king. We cannot, we cannot miss out on his lordship in our lives. And so we hear a lot in America about individual salvation, but not too much about the kingdom. You know, sometimes the gospel presentation in America goes something like this. Believe in Jesus so that you get out of hell. And, and quite honestly, I'm not a fan of that particular way of, of evangelism or sharing the gospel, but I think it's familiar. I think people, that, that's what people are used to hearing. And it's just widely incomplete. And it's not where Jesus started with the gospel. You know, when we talk about life in the kingdom, we are dealing with salvation. And you can't talk about the kingdom without talking about salvation. But so often we talk about personal salvation without the kingdom. And that's actually spiritual malpractice, in my opinion. Salvation is a personal issue, but it's, it's to step into a relationship with Jesus and then live entirely guided by his way in our life and remaining faithfully committed to his way of life, which leads to life. And again, when we turn to the pages of the scriptures, what we find is in Mark 1, Jesus' first words in the book of Mark are about the kingdom. And then we have the parables, which are in large part just about the kingdom. And then in the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, he emphasizes the kingdom of God. And this goes on and on and on. The kingdom is an important thread that's weaved from Genesis throughout Revelation, and we often miss it. And so here in this text, here in this little parable, Jesus opens up by saying the kingdom is like, which means it is currently like, which means in some way Jesus brought the kingdom when he arrived, when his ministry began. And so this means that we can currently experience the kingdom, but we also know that the kingdom hasn't fully come in its entirety. So we live in this tension between what we call the now and the not yet. The kingdom is now, but in some way it's not yet. And when Jesus returns, he will set all things right and his kingdom will be fully realized. But right now, we live in that space in between where he has shown us the way of the kingdom and invited us to live into that kingdom here and now as we wait for the time to come. And so life in the kingdom is wildly different than the ways of our world, and this is both frustrating and freeing. In fact, that's how we're going to frame this teaching for the entire series, is the parables that we come across. They're going to be frustrating, but they're also going to be freeing. And so getting into this parable, what is it about these three verses that make us frustrated? What makes these sayings of Jesus frustrating? Well, first, when we read these parables, it frustrates our false expectations of Jesus. Let me explain. When Jesus opens up the parable, he says, the kingdom is like a mustard seed. And he doesn't say that it's like a military force. And this is important. Uh, you see, Jesus, again, is describing the kingdom of God. And we think about kingdom, we're thinking about rule and reign and dominion and all of those dynamics that we see play out in our world. And so Jesus is saying, let me tell you about the kingdom of God. It's like a mustard seed. It's not like a military force. You see, mustard seeds are tiny. It takes about 700 to weigh even a gram. And so this would be an embarrassing parable for those who think that Jesus is their political or military leader, which was the case. You know, and not only that, the plant turns into a bush that then provides rest and shade for all sorts of critters, not just one. And so there's a problem here because a lot of the folks in Jesus's day and time were looking for a Messiah who would overthrow Rome, reestablish the kingdom of Israel, so Israel would have dominion. 
Okay, that's a that's a oversimplification to say the least, but that's basically what was happening. And so the idea that this kingdom is not going to come with power and force in the way that they thought was very very frustrating. You know, additionally, looking at the other parable, the fermenting process of bread is is virtually invisible and it takes some time too. And so the kingdom is is like a slow and transforming process, not like instant gratification and instant dominion. It's a completely different way of thinking. So Jesus is saying the kingdom is like a mustard seed, not like a military force. And so when we go back to the original context, the original readers and the original audience were asking this question. If Jesus is king, if the kingdom has arrived with Jesus, why are so many people rejecting him and why is still Rome on the throne? It's a very important question for them. And so Matthew wrote this down to convey why. And then for us today, we even ask the same question. If Jesus is king and the kingdom has come in some way, why are things still so wrecked and chaotic in life? Why do we still see so much evil in the world? And so for those looking and expecting the kingdom to come, they would be at first glance frustrated by Jesus because he did not meet their expectations of being a political or military leader. And they would have felt let down. Their hopes were that Rome would be squashed and that they would get their way within the political dominion of life. But that was not Jesus' aim. That wasn't Jesus' aim. And, and this serves as kind of a warning for us, too, here in America. It's election year. There's no doubt about it. There is a lot of controversy going on right now about the political sphere and the social sphere of things. But this parable can actually serve as a warning to us to not bank on our political agendas and not expect Jesus to be all about our political agendas. You know, we've got to focus on not the left, not the right, but the way up, which is the kingdom of God. That is the warning for us here is to not use Jesus for our political agendas, number one, and two, not to bank our hope in earthly political systems. I can show you, and I'm sure you've read it over and over and over again, where it doesn't matter who is in office, there's always a sense of letdown. There's always a sense of letdown. In any presidency, in any cabinet, whatever the case, this is a warning. Do not bank on your political systems. And I think that's a very important warning for us today, especially during an election year, because we'll find ourselves let down time and time and time again. You know, and so we all, we all know what it's like to be let down, whether in big ways or small ways. You know, for example, two ways to let me down is to do, is to do something like this, is to overhype a restaurant or movies. To either hype overhype a restaurant or movies. For me, those things like if you overhype a restaurant or movies, for me, it's like your credibility is 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 diminishing quickly. You know, when Christy and I first moved up to Montana, um, we come from the South, and there's a lot of good Tex-Mex, a lot of good Mexican food. Um, you know, even bad Mexican food is not that bad in the South. And so, you know, we get up here, and then we've had all of these people say. Hey, if you like Mexican, you need to go to this particular restaurant. And I'm not going to name the restaurant because I know a lot of you guys like it. So, you know, take that for what it is. But uh, they said, you need to go to this one particular Mexican food place. And so we we went and we were severely let down. It was way overhyped for us. And, and my big problem with this, my big problem with this place is that you cannot tell the difference between the rice and the beans. And if you can't tell the difference between rice and beans, there is a big problem there that needs to be addressed. And so... I felt let down, and I was like, I don't know if I can trust these folks to tell me about good food. But we know, but we know what that's like—that that feeling of being let down. And now that's that's kind of a silly illustration to drive home the point that 
when we when we feel let down, we begin to experience distrust. We become more skeptical. Now, again, that's a silly illustration that we can relate to. But what about those bigger issues in life where we may actually feel let down by Jesus himself? Because if we feel let down, we're going to start distrusting. That's the that's the natural direction of that. Have you ever felt let down by God? Perhaps you experienced the loss of a loved one or the unexpected ending of a relationship or the diagnosis you weren't ready for or the job situation has changed because of COVID-19 or perhaps you would have thought you would have been over this dark, hidden sin in your life by now. Whatever that case may be, maybe you felt let down. Well, part of the good news is that you are in good company because you can survey all of Scripture and find various people saying things like, How long, O Lord, must I wait? How long am I going to call out for you? And it feels like you're doing nothing. And so if you've ever felt let down by God, that's okay. Um, I'm not saying that's actually what's happening, but I'm saying you are in good company because a lot of people, all people, I think at some point in time who follow Jesus feel let down by God, but we'll explore that here more in a minute. You see, often we live in a, in a state where our situations overwhelm us, and when we feel overwhelmed and that we don't see a way out, we immediately begin to interpret that as maybe God has left us, and we live in this sense of situational anxiety, thinking that if my situation were to change, then I would be okay and I'd have all I would need. And that's kind of what was happening with the original situation in this parable. They thought if they just had the dominion, politically and militarily, that they'd be all set. But that's not the case, and we see that play out over and over again throughout history. And, you know, Jesus actually addresses this sort of situational anxiety in Matthew 6, where he talks about fears for provision and for life, and he responds by saying, Seek first the kingdom. And all these things will be added to you. In other words, Jesus is is saying, start with the kingdom. Kingdom first, not second, not third, not fourth, first. Because what we find that when we seek the kingdom is that we're not really being let down by Jesus, but by our false expectations of Jesus. We're being let down by what we think should happen. And so that's an important point because I, as I'm wrestling with things in my own life, and I know, I know most of you know that my mom recently passed away a couple of weeks ago, and I've really appreciated all of the, all of the texts and the emails and phone calls and cards. It's just been an overwhelming sense of, of joy to me to, to get those things. And so, um, but even thinking through my own situation, um, I've been coming to this realization that, you know, even it, there, there is nothing, there is nothing that can change the situation in which I find myself right now with that. And oftentimes we think if my situation can change, then I'll be okay. But what happens when your situation doesn't change or can't change? It makes us think a little bit differently about faith and life and what it means to follow Jesus and for him to be king. You know, we, we hear that so many times. If, 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 if I had this change in my life, I would be okay. But here's the problem with that. If we, are ta- if we are going to God and we're saying, change this and I'd be okay. Well, here's the thing. There are some things like we just mentioned that can't change. But say something does change and say you get what you want. A lot of times what happens is when our situation changes and we finally get the thing that we wanted for, we wanted, we end up living in insecurity and fear because we're scared to lose it. Or we end up devoting all of our time and energy to getting it, thinking that that's the thing that's going to make us whole. But what the seek the kingdom verse means is to find your sense of wholeness, your direction of life 
in the way of Jesus first, and then you'll find everything else falls into place. doesn't mean your life is not going to be hard. In fact, following Jesus sometimes makes things harder. But it means that you can find wholeness and joy and peace, even if the situation doesn't change. And so going back to my current situation, there's nothing that's going to change the situation of me losing my mom. But having the presence of Jesus in the situation brings a remarkably different dynamic. And so that's an important point, because if we live based on our situational hopes, we are actually owned by the circumstances in our life. And that will only create anxiety, insecurity, fear, and ultimately idolatry, because we're pursuing it with everything that we have, thinking that it's the thing. And so let, let's move away from that and seek the kingdom. And, you know, through all this, we find a little bit more about what faith is like. And, and faith, as I'm looking, as I'm looking into my own life and those around me, I'm finding that faith is, is enduring hope. It's like the seed here that is shoved into the dirt only to become something like a flourishing plant. And guess what the seed has to do? It has to push back up through the dirt and come back up into the light to become that flourishing plant. So that presupposes a little bit of difficulty and challenge. And so also faith is like the yeast that is hard to see, but its effects are undeniable. Faith is not simply getting what we want or think we're entitled to in life. Faith is enduring hope even when we don't get what we thought would make us whole. So that's why it's frustrating. These parables have a way of frustrating our expectations of Jesus and actually challenging us to ask, do I have any false expectations of Jesus? Am I expecting Jesus to fix my situation rather than simply fixing my eyes on Jesus, seeking first the kingdom? And so that frustration, though, it paves the way and it clears the way for the freedom because when we find ourselves frustrated by God, we find that we're missing something and that once we find it, we find a sense of freedom. And so why is this parable or why are these parables freeing for us for those who follow Jesus and good news for those who don't well first these parables teach us that it's okay to not be perfect and it's okay to be in process to be in a process of growth and transformation that's what this parable is about it's about that growth and then transformation happening over a period of time both the plant and the bread represent a process of development and that image rebukes our culture and desire for instant results and instant gratification, but it frees us because none of us are, if we're being honest, where we wish we were in terms of faith, life, spiritual maturity, and wholeness. None of us are as good as we pretend to be, and I think that's just true. We are all in process, and that's okay. You see, in our culture of Christianity in America, we like to measure our maturity as if it were like a metric or a ruler-based system. We find things like, oh, step one, get saved. Step two, get baptized. Step three is to read my Bible every day. Step four is to stop cussing. Step five is to learn to lift my hands and worship or, or whatever. You know what I mean. You know that we, we tend to put things on a metric. And if, and if somebody's not lifting their hands in worship, well, they're just not, they just might not be spiritually mature yet. That's how we think typically in America. We want, to, we want to measure, but I don't think that's how it typically works. I think our spiritual formation and maturity looks more like a circle with Jesus at the center as if it were like a gravitational pull pulling us in towards himself. And sometimes we find ourselves rotating around Jesus and, and not moving closer to him, but just simply rotating around him. And other times we find ourselves being slowly tugged towards Jesus. And sometimes we find ourselves when we're completely surrendered to God like a magnet when you let go of two magnets, they just find their way together. And so when we release ourselves to Jesus, we find ourselves getting closer and closer and closer to him. And you'll find sometimes that you are closer to Jesus in some seasons than you are 
in the next season. That doesn't mean you're any less saved. It doesn't mean you're any less mature. It means that you are experiencing the process of becoming more like Jesus in a fallen world. And so it's not a metric system, but more like a journey, more like a path, more like a pilgrimage to Jesus filled with speed bumps. You know, and, and, it, and it takes some time. I love what one scholar on the parable says. He says, these parables do stress growth and power at work affecting God's purposes over a period of time, but they don't imply anything about the length of time. And so this is freeing because we can be gracious and patient with ourselves as we intentionally strive to follow Jesus. But at the same time, this is also a call for us to be patient with others as we are ourselves. We begin to recognize that everyone is on a redemptive process as they are following Jesus. And so we shouldn't expect people's lives to be necessarily transformed overnight in the things that they believe and the things that they think and the things that we believe and the things that we think. It's a process of relearning how to live life. In fact, in, in John chapter 3, Jesus is specifically talking about the kingdom of God when he's talking to Nicodemus and, you know, he tells Nicodemus, you need to be born again. And so just think about what it means to be born. You have to learn to walk, talk, think, act, behave, and believe all of those things. And so what's happening is in the kingdom, we are unlearning those patterns of life, and then we are relearning how to walk, talk, think, and live again into the kingdom of God. And so we have to be patient with others as we would ourselves. We can't hold up a laundry list of, of beliefs and say, before you come in, you have to believe this, 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 and this, and this. That's not how it works. No, we are all in process. And quite frankly, the most persuasive way to convince people of Jesus is through relational, is through relationship. And so being relational and being patient and persuasive through love goes a lot further than putting up a list of things saying you must believe this if you are to enter into the kingdom of God. And so we begin to follow Jesus and then we begin this process of learning to live life in the way of this kingdom. And so again, patience with others as we would ourselves. People don't transform overnight, just like a plant doesn't spring forth overnight. And so, this parable teaches us that it's okay to not be perfect and to be in process as we grow and transform. Now, this does not give us permission to not be intentional and be responsible with our spiritual walk. It's quite the opposite, but it's saying if we are moving towards Jesus, we will grow and we will transform, but there's not necessarily a timestamp on that, how about when we're going to get to where we want to be, if that makes sense. And so, Secondly, this parable gives us permission to be authentically human and weak, and not only free to be, but called to be. You see, when we recognize and we admit our weakness and our need for God, we often find that that's the space where God's power is most felt and experienced in our lives. And so what we find is the seed and the yeast, by all accounts, are weak, and by all appearances are weak, but we know the power they actually contain. And so likewise, the power of the kingdom is found and it is most productive when we are open, vulnerable, honest, and about where we are in life, even in those, and especially in those moments of weakness, that's the space where God's power comes through. Weakness is a part of living in the way of the kingdom, being fully dependent upon God. And I think we see some of this also just in everyday life, how people are profoundly attracted to weakness because it gives them permission to be imperfect and weak where they are. You know, there's something to the honesty that comes from people being vulnerable with where they really are in life. Again, because none of us are as good as we are pretending to be. And a lot of times, weakness is a great place to start if we're trying to build relationships. Someone has to be vulnerable and share 
about what's going on in their lives, and that disarms other people. You know, in fact, there's this one guy named Rufus Briscom, and maybe you've heard me talk about this at the table, but it's one of my favorite stories. This guy, Rufus Briscom, he started Babel, and Babel is, was a parenting magazine and a blogosphere sort of thing, and, and so he started it up uh, a little bit before the recession in 2008 and 2009, and during the recession, he was trying to find investors to invest into this business. Now, what happened was um, you're thinking about the economy. You're thinking about it, it, it doesn't make sense. But what he did was he went to a handful of investors and said, okay, this is what I'm looking to do. But he didn't start with like the strong points. He started with the weaker points of his business. He said, here is why this business will struggle to get off the ground. Here is why it may not be the best idea to invest in this business right now. And so he started with the areas of weakness in the business and in the vision. And what happened was that totally disarmed them. It, it made him f seem credible that he had really thought through things, and it made him seem authentic. And so what ended up happening was in the middle of the recession, that sales pitch, which was honest, he was just being honest with them, he walked away with $3 million in the recession for that. And a few years later, he was like, okay, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm ready to sell. And so he gets ready to sell. He wants to sell to Disney. And so he walks into Disney with with the same sort of spiel. He says, here are five reasons why you shouldn't buy my business. He walked away from that deal with $40 million. And so the point is not look at everything he got. The point is, look what weakness did. Him starting with those weaker points created a sense of trust and a rapport with the investors. And he wasn't doing it to be facetious. He was just being honest. And I think that's, that's an important point, again, is being honest about where we are in weakness, that really disarms people. And I think that's something we can learn from. I think that's what we see in the kingdom. And so from this parable, we find these weak mustard seeds and the weak yeast gives space for the real power to transform things. And it, weakness, it just simply creates honesty and trust and shows that we are okay with blemishes in life. And I think that's important to take away. You see, Paul gets at this when he is writing to the church in Corinth about an unknown struggle that he has and a hindrance that's causing him to be weak. He asked God to remove it apparently three times. And this is, this is what he says about it in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. He says, But he, he being God, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest upon me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in the insults, in the hardships and persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Notice the progression there. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so the idea is creating the space for honesty about where we are, about our weakness, because that's the space where God will move. Okay, so we have been frustrated with this parable, and now we have seen how this parable can actually free us to be in process and to be weak and to be moving towards God and not expect instant results. But how does Jesus embody these parables? Because he just doesn't tell stories. He actually lives them out. And we can go back, we can go back throughout all of Scripture and see how this works. But echoing prophetic texts from the Old Testament, like Ezekiel 17.23 and Daniel 4, we find that Jesus is the true seed that was put into the earth and who pushed through the dirt to provide life, rest, and shelter for all who come to him. He's the true mustard seed. And Jesus is the true leaven who is put into the world to transform it to become something that brings goodness and gives provision in this world and is made for those who are hungry. You know, later on, Jesus even says himself, I am the bread of life. Yet he was, in, he was entirely unexpected, and everything in his life looked insignificant. And that's a huge part of how he embodies this. 
You see, nothing about Jesus' earthly life or ministry or even death was really impressive. From the dominant culture's perspective, Jesus was from the wrong place, from the wrong family, wasn't educated by the right rabbis, did not have the right job, and did not have the best resources. When he started a ministry, he started with the wrong group of people, some fishermen and tax collectors, not of protégés and prophetic shakers. That wasn't his way of doing things, and it was very unexpected. I mean, he went to the wrong places to minister, and he said the wrong things in the culture that expected him to say other things. And so all things considered, he appeared to be of little significance in life and in death. His death was quite unremarkable and quite common for the common criminal. So there was nothing significant from the outset, from, the, from, from an outsider looking in. Yet, it was precisely how God designed it. Jesus is the seed planted into the world that will grow and provide goodness and rest for all who come to him and is the leaven put into the world that transforms it here and now as we wait for God to return. You see, I love what R.T. Kendall says. I think he's right when he says this. He says the planting of the mustard seed was exactly what happened to Jesus when Jesus was dying on the cross. Nobody alive said, get ready for something big because Jesus is now on the cross. No, it was a day of disaster. Nobody was threatened by the way of Jesus. Nobody worried about Jesus or his disciples. Nobody worried about them because Jesus, their leader, was gone. Yet the Spirit of God came down on the day of Pentecost, and the world has never been the same since. I love that quote from R.T. Kendall. We can clearly see today the effect of Jesus' ministry, even when they couldn't see it back then. But even now, it's hard for us to see if Jesus is really making an impact. But we have to come back to this parable and say, yes, he is. And so how does this tell us to respond? I think a couple things that we can do to respond. The first thing is this should inspire a confident and hopeful endurance with assurance that God is at work within you. A confident, hopeful endurance with the assurance that God is at work in you. Don't believe for a minute that God's not working in your life. The, he is always at work in your life. Now, whether or not we are being receptive to him or not, that's another story. But if we are open to the way of God, his spirit will be at work within us. And so one commentator says, confidence and hope are the result of this parable. If people are given over to God's purposes, small beginnings still come to fruition. God seems to be about the business of leavening, magnifying what seems insignificant. No matter who you are, where you are in life, or how things have been up to this point in life, Jesus wants to bring his kingdom to bear in your life and to cause it to take root here and now. Because he knows that in the kingdom, this is the place where we find our soul's rest, our hope that our heart, the hope that our hearts need, and the security in the midst of a culture of uncertainty. The kingdom has come in in Christ, and he is at work within you, so let him continue his work. You see, just like a, a farmer, all he does is cultivate and prepare. The growth is up to God. The same thing is happening within us. And secondly, love your neighbor well out of this parable because plants and leaven have a purpose to create life and to be useful to their surroundings. We should be like the plant where people who are struggling can come and find rest and feel safe, just like the birds flew into the, into the bush. We ought to be a place where people come to find rest and feel safe, not judged and condemned. And so one of the questions we need to ask is, does the posture of my life represent someone who is safe to be around? A non-judgmental spirit that will share grace and truth and love in a way that reflects the character of Christ. We should also be like the bread in that we should provide for others in need. That's a simple, compassionate call all throughout the Bible, that when there are people in need, Christians should come alongside them and find ways to support and serve them. 
is that we realize that all people are on a journey and in a process. And so like us, we need to offer grace, truth, and this long patience that's required. And so that's directed towards our neighbor. And I love what C.S. Lewis says. C.S. Lewis, and this is where we'll land, C.S. Lewis talks about becoming little Christs. What he means by that, he states in his book, Mere Christianity, he says, if we share in this kind of life, we also shall be sons and daughters of God. We shall love the Father as he does, and the Holy Spirit will arise in us. He came into this world and became a man in order to spread to other men the kind of life he has, by what I call a good infection. Every Christian is to become a little Christ. The whole purpose of becoming a Christian is simply nothing else. And so that was C.S. Lewis, and what he's saying is that Jesus embodied the very things that he taught, and we as his followers are called to embody those things, and we will do so imperfectly, but we should not intentionally not do so. And so if you're in a space in life where things seem overwhelmed, where things, things seem chaotic, you're trying to discern whether or not God is at work, be encouraged by this parable that the seed of the gospel has been planted within your heart, that the leaven of the gospel has been put into your body and that over time you will grow and you will transform don't close yourself off to the way of jesus remain open and allow god to work and so as you seek to pray about and implement this parable i pray that you experience the grace and peace that only comes from following jesus Well, we hope this resource has been meaningful for you during this time in your life. If you have any questions, needs, or want to share about what God is up to in your life with us, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at thetablechurch.us. Again, that is hello at thetablechurch.us. Also, feel free to share, review, and rate this podcast, and be sure to subscribe with us on iTunes to keep up. We look forward to connecting with you.